Let us prepare our hearts and minds now as we read the scripture together. We will be reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. You can follow along in your own Bibles or from the words on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Hello, Hi Rock. I'm so glad to be with you today. Many of you know that I have a very large family, 11 kids, and now a granddaughter who lives with us too. The exact cast around the dinner table keeps shifting as kids come and go from camp or college, but recently it's included Michelle and me, three kids in their 20s, a couple of teens, two 12-year-olds, and a toddler. Given the unusual mix of ages and cultures, you might imagine that our conversation is chaotic, hilarious, and fascinating, and often it is. But what you might not imagine is how often those conversations are boring. We we just run out of things to talk about. After all, it's not easy to find topics that are engaging to both a 12-year-old and a 23-year-old, especially when those are the same people we've been been eating together almost every night of their lives. They've already talked about everything. I mean, what more is there to say? How was your day? Fine. It's stale pretty quick. Many marriages struggle with this same thing. Even if both partners seek a deeper connection, they aren't sure where to start because they've already talked about everything. So either they fall into the pattern of just repeating the same tired dialogue over and over, or they find an easy topic to discuss, like the kids or the news, that is conversation, but not real connection of their hearts. Or they slowly stop talking much at all. They eat silently in front of the TV, or more often these days, in front of separate screens, in separate rooms. In all three scenarios, their bodies are in the same house, but their souls are in different worlds. They're not alone, but they're lonely. I've heard it said that the reason family members or friends sometimes shout during disputes is that even if they're right next to each other, their hearts are so far that they shout to be heard across the great distance that they feel. I didn't grow up in a shouting family, but when Michelle and I were first married, we struggled so much to communicate that we started shouting sometimes in a desperate attempt to be heard. But the shouting only separated us further. I talk for a living, but I couldn't figure out how to talk with the person I lived with and loved most. This is why so much counseling for couples or 
for parents trying to connect with their teenagers or young adults learning to develop real friendships requires helping them have healthy conversations, teaching them how to listen actively, how to share in ways that are vulnerable but not manipulative, how to be curious without sounding critical. Talking is so easy that a toddler can do it, but conversation that leads to understanding and genuine, genuine intimacy is something many PhDs can't achieve. So is it any surprise that we also find prayer to be challenging? Because prayer is simply conversation with God that fosters connection and intimacy. But if we can't do it with the people closest to us, no wonder we also struggle to do that with God. So this summer, we're learning how to pray from Jesus, who prayed so frequently and fruitfully that his disciples were well, a, a bit envious. We want to connect with God like that too. So they asked, Lord, teach us to pray. And note that Jesus didn't reply, guys, I, I can't teach you that. You've either got it or you don't. And this is already good news because a lot of us fear that we don't got it. We're spiritual failures because we're just not good at prayer. And can I say parenthetically that I think a lot of couples have that same fear. We just don't got it. Our differences are impossible to overcome. I worried about that early in our marriage. And some nights as I sit at our family dinner table, exasperated by the banality of our banter, I can wonder the same thing. But I've seen in our marriage and in our family that while it's not automatic, we can learn to have richer conversations that everyone enjoys and draw us closer. And I've discovered that this is also true of prayer, which is why Jesus responds to his disciples' questions by teaching them and us how to pray in ways that are real and rich and life-giving. But before showing us how to pray, Jesus begins by telling us how not to. He points out some of the conversation killers that get in the way of a genuine connection with God. The first is that we're not honest about to whom we're really talking. Specifically, he calls out the people who use prayer not as a way to get closer with God, but as a way to look better in front of other people. In Jesus' day, people did that by standing in strategic places to ensure they'd be seen praying so people could admire how spiritual they were. In our day, it may look like using group prayer as a chance to show the people you're praying with how spiritually elite you are. Maybe by using fancy language or being especially emotional or intellectual to show off how, how passionate or advanced you are. But Jesus points out that this hunger to impress people will stifle our intimacy with God. I know what this is like. I, I first learned to pray in college by praying in groups with other college students. But my chronic people-pleasing made it far harder for me to focus on God. Instead, I listened to what other people prayed, evaluated what sounded especially clever or cool, and, and then repeated those same things in a future prayer group so that people might think that I was clever or cool too. Whether or not that worked, my prayers didn't draw me closer to God because I wasn't actually talking with him. I was performing for people, an actor in search of applause. And that's what the word hypocrite literally means, actor. 
and Jesus applies it to anyone who pretends to be talking to God in order to be admired by others. Jesus says, well, I hope that works. I hope folks are impressed because that's all that kind of prayer can accomplish. But we want more than that. We want intimacy with God. So for people like me who are too easily distracted, Jesus suggests when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. Reward you with what exactly? We'll get to that. But before we do, I want to be clear that it can be really valuable to pray with other people. I learned so much that way. It never occurred to me to discuss certain topics with God until I heard other people do it, and I realized I could do that too. Like the couples I mentioned earlier who mindlessly repeat the same tired conversation each day, I've been missing out by restricting my conversation topics with God way too narrowly. This may be why Jesus prayed in public many times, which is why his disciples were able to write down some of his prayers for us and how they knew they wanted to learn how to pray like Jesus did. The issue is not who sees you when you pray, but whom you see when you pray. Is your attention on God or the people with you? If you struggle with that, perhaps the first step is to pray by yourself or pray silently in groups so that you can avoid the temptation to impress other people. As you learn to talk with God, then you'll be able to welcome other people into the conversation as well, like Jesus did for his disciples. The last part is something I want to do better because I'm so prone to, to distraction or performance, I prefer to pray privately, which is enriching personally, but means that I'm not expanding my kids' imaginations for what prayer can be. So going forward, as I lead my kids in prayer before meals, instead of offering some perfunctory prayer before we eat, I want to talk with our Heavenly Father in a way that invites them into that conversation, and it can help them develop their own dialogues with God long after dinner is done. And this leads to Jesus' second conversation killer, talking too much. Do you know somebody who dominates every conversation and they won't let you get a word in edgewise? One of my friends tells me that occasionally her mother calls and just talks at her for 45 minutes straight, but never asks any questions. After years of trying various techniques to make it a two-way conversation, now my friend admits to sometimes just laying the phone down, putting it on mute, and chatting with her kids while her mom keeps going. Finally, her mom runs out of steam and closes her monologue abruptly, saying, Gotta go now! Great catching up! And the conversation is over. But was there ever a conversation at all? I mean, they, they talked for a long time. But I'll bet they both ended up feeling less connected than if they hadn't talked at all. Perhaps my friend's mom is just suffocatingly self-centered, but I suspect that part of the reason she keeps talking is because she intuits that they're not really connecting so she anxiously fills that void with more and more words that end up fortifying the wall that keeps them separate rather than building a bridge that could connect them. I wonder if this is similar to the way God might feel when we assault him with an endless flurry of words that we call prayer. God, help me with this. Help me with that. I'm angry at this person. or I'm sorry for that error. And as soon as we've said everything we can think of, we end our prayer with some version of, gotta go now. Great catching up. We call it prayer 
but we did all the talking. So it wasn't a conversation. It was a self-absorbed catharsis. And because we remained focused only on our feelings, we end up feeling even less connected with our Father than if we hadn't bothered praying at all. So Jesus warns, when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. The pagans in Jesus' day believed in deities who didn't really care about them, so it required a lot to get their attention. But Jesus insists that the true God isn't like that at all. Our Heavenly Father is more attentive to our own hearts and circumstances than even we are. The challenge in prayer is not to get God's attention. It's to give our attention to the God who's already paying attention to you. The pagans also did all the talking because they understood prayer to be primarily transactional. The point of prayer was to get stuff from the false idols they invented. So their prayers may have sounded a lot like, well, a lot like our prayers do sometimes. Like we're making a list for Santa Claus. God, please give me um, a job, a house, a spouse, an A on my big exam. Oh, you may not have heard that my Uncle Joe needs his cancer cleared up. I could really use a new car. And, 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 and could you help my friend Mary find her cat? She really loves that cat. And while you're at it, could you find me a parking space real quick because I'm late? Okay, got to go now. Great catching up. Amen. There's nothing wrong with praying about any of those things. But those are the kind of conversations I have with my granddaughter, who is a toddler. That's cute because it's age appropriate. And that's how most of us begin in prayer, which is what our Heavenly Father expects from spiritual infants. But if my granddaughter still talks, me, talks with me that way as a teenager, it's going to be less cute. <laughs> Likewise, as we mature spiritually, if all we talk about with God is our wish list, then we've missed the real point of prayer. It's not designed to be transactional, but relational. It's like if my kid were to call me from college or camp, and you know, I'm so excited to see their name on my phone screen, and I'm, I'm eager to connect and, and hear how they're doing. But instead, the conversation goes something like, Hi, Dad, can you Venmo me $50 right away? And, and my email isn't working. Can you reset the password? Also, who's picking me up this weekend? And, and, and what time are you going to be here? Because I, I, I want to have some time with my friends that morning, but I don't want to be the last one here. Okay, got to go. Great catching up was it? They were so self-absorbed that they didn't see me at all. I was reduced to being their vending machine rather than their loving father. Do I care about what they need? Of course, and I want to help. But I want that to be an expression of the special relationship we share. So if that's the only conversation we have, something's missing. And yet, too many times, I've prayed just like this to our Heavenly Father. Hey, God, I need this and this and this and that. Okay, gotta go. This is how the pagans prayed. But Jesus tells us, don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Wait, he already knows? Well, so then what's the point of praying at all? The point is not to get stuff from God, but to enjoy intimacy with God. This is the reward that Jesus was talking about. Is not getting more from our Heavenly Father, it's getting more of Him. So prayer should be less like a list for Santa and more like a conversation with a loved one that helps us grow closer. Great conversations include talking and sharing needs, but they also include asking questions and truly listening 
to each other. I have one relative I see only a couple of times a year, and every time I do, he asks excellent questions. So it looks like we're having a rich discussion, but he's not actually listening. He's using questions to control the conversation so that he never has to share very much. He evades answering any questions, and I know he's not listening because 30 minutes later he'll ask me the same set of questions all over again and then not listen that time either. We converse, but we don't connect. So if he doesn't really care about my replies, then why ask so many questions? Because that way he can convince himself, or or maybe the, the rest of us, that he's doing his part in the relationship while not risking being in a real relationship at all. Real relationships make us vulnerable to being seen, hurt, exposed, and disappointed. But they're also where we can be seen, healed, embraced, and delighted in. Real relationships require relinquishing control, but in its place, they can give us more love and more life We can do the same thing my relative does when we pray. We can use spiritual-sounding words to control the conversation, to keep God at a safe distance so that we won't feel so vulnerable. But what it really does is keep us from connecting. And in fact, I dare say that for some of us, the Lord's Prayer can be some of those spiritual-sounding words that we hide ourselves behind. That seems heretical. I mean, because this was Jesus' answer when his disciples asked him how to pray. Literally, he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and so on. Isn't this what Jesus wants us to pray? Yes, but no, I mean, not exactly. If I tell that kid who called earlier, hey, I'd like more from our conversations together, and they asked how to do that, I might say something like, well, you could say, hi, Dad, I'm having a great time, but I miss you. How are you doing? Is there anything new happening with the family or or at work? Things here are cool. Let me tell you about a couple of them. Oh, before we go, I I need some money, and I need some help with my email password. Is, Is that something you could do in the next few days? That sounds like a pretty good conversation. But imagine how I'd feel if the next time that kid calls, they just read that exact script. Hi, Dad. I'm having a great time, but I miss you. How are you doing? And so on. And the next time they call, they repeat the exact same thing. And the next time, and the next time, they missed the point. I wasn't telling them exactly what to say, but showing them how to have a real conversation by highlighting some of the things that we could talk about. And I think some of us can miss the point when we mindlessly recite the Lord's Prayer, or any prepared prayer, including the examine we often recommend, or the prayer of confession we pray together at High Rock each week. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Okay, gotta go. Great catching up. That's not what Jesus was looking for. As Pastor Walt put it a few weeks ago, there's a big difference between saying prayers and praying. Decades ago, when Michelle and I were newly married, we just didn't know what to talk about sometimes. 
When we were dating, there was less time to fill, but suddenly we were together 24-7, 365, so our go-to topics had been covered. We wanted to grow closer, but we just we didn't know what else to say. So we, we bought this for our dinner table. It's a, a flip chart of 366 questions to ask each other. As silly as it sounds, when conversation ran dry, we'd just flip to the next question. And sometimes we'd answer them in a few seconds, and then we'd flip to the next one. But eventually we'd get to one that was like a, a spark that set our conversation ablaze. We might keep talking for the next hour about it. This gave us new topics to discuss, it helped us be curious about things we just hadn't thought of before, and helped us grow closer. We've been married now for approximately 11,172 days, so 366 questions wasn't quite enough. So since then, we've bought a few more of these lists of questions, but we rarely need them anymore, because by using these tools, we learned how to have these deeper discussions all on our own. But a few years ago, after a few too many boring dinner conversations with our family, I pulled these back out, and I bought a few new packs of question cards designed with kids in mind. So these days, when conversation seems to sputter, I just pull out one of these decks and read off a question. Sometimes it takes a few cards, but eventually the conversation catches fire. And at that point, people will happily sit together for another hour because the conversation is so great. And that is the point. The goal is not to complete the deck but to have a conversation that draws us closer. The cue cards suggest things that we can talk about to get that conversation started. And that's what the Lord's Prayer can do. It gives us an example to help us have our own conversation with God. So the point is not simply to recite those words, but to use each line as a springboard for deeper conversation with God. So far, we've mostly focused on how not to pray. So what can we learn from this about how to pray more richly. First, Jesus says, go into your room and close the door. If he were saying this today, Jesus might add, and leave your devices outside. Because today we can bring the entire world with us wherever we go. In my experience, Satan's best weapon to distract me from prayer is my smartphone. You tell me it's a coincidence that the logo on my iPhone is an apple with a bite out of it. Seems pretty clear to me. But even with my smartphone left behind, I bring all my frantic thoughts in with me. So I find the best way to begin prayer is with silence. I calm my monkey mind and inquire how I'm really feeling. What's going on inside of me? What am I happy about? Anxious about? Angry about? What desires or, or fears are manipulating me? I do this so that I can show up as my true self for a conversation with God. You know, I used to do the same thing on my way home from work. My work often moves at a frantic pace, and so even after I left the office, I, I brought all those stirred up emotions and loose ends with me. I could get home, but not really be home. My heart and mind were still back at the office. So I established a new daily discipline. As I drove home, there was a particular sign I had to pass right before turning a corner, and I gave myself permission to keep chewing on work stuff until I reached that sign, at which point I'd pack all those thoughts into an imaginary satchel, and I would hang it on that sign. When I passed it again on the way back into work the next day, I could pick that back up again, but then I'd use the rest of my drive home to prepare for my conversation with my wife and kids. 
I'd try to remember what they'd done that day so I could ask a few good questions. And I'd try to think of a few things I could share when they asked me about my day. Likewise, I find my conversations with God are far more meaningful if I take some time to prepare. I need to identify what's going on inside me so that I can know what to discuss with God. I need to remember some of the things that I enjoyed so that I can remember to thank God for them. Okay, after taking inventory, I often begin my prayer time with a version of Moses' prayer that Pastor Walt commended a few, few weeks ago. Here I am, Lord. I often pray a longer version of that prayer, saying to God, Here I am. Here you are. Here we are together. Remember that the purpose of prayer is to connect with God. And this helps turn my attention to God and our relationship. Now we're ready to talk. But rather than just blurt out everything I'm feeling and worrying about, I let God have the first word in our conversation. So I typically begin by reading or listening to Scripture and to the Holy Spirit, who actively speaks to us through the Scriptures. Remember, the best conversations are a dialogue in which both parties take turns speaking and listening. So I begin by listening, and then I respond to whatever I hear from God. From there, the conversation can go anywhere. Sometimes the conversation just takes off. Other times I need a few conversation starters, like the ones I use with my family. And there are so many good ones. The Examine from St. Ignatius is a popular one that I've used a lot. The Daily Office has been helpful. The Pray As You Go podcast. And this is where the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples is useful too. I don't recite it mindlessly, but I use it as a series of prompts about what to discuss with God. The prayer hexagon many high rockers use can be very helpful as you do this. But an even more simplified version is what helped me most when I first began praying, and I still return to it over and over. It's an acronym many of you are familiar with that reminds us of the different kinds of things that we can talk about with God. The acronym is ACTS. And the A stands for adoration. It basically just means noticing how beautiful and extraordinary God is and commenting on it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. If adoration feels too flowery for you, admiration or acknowledgement both work too. It's just enjoying who God is. The C stands for confession, which is where I can admit ways that I sinned against God, uh, against others, even against myself. It's time to be honest with God so that I can repent and receive forgiveness, and then perhaps extend that same forgiveness to others. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In the midst of this, keep pausing to listen. Perhaps there's a word of conviction God wants to give you, helping you see a sin that you hadn't noticed, but is hurting you, God, or someone else? Or perhaps God has a word of comfort for you, that you're still loved despite how you fell short today. Maybe there's someone the Holy Spirit will prompt you to approach in person, to extend or request forgiveness. Whatever God might have to say, just leave space to listen. T stands for thanksgiving. Think back to all the blessings you've experienced and realize that directly or indirectly, every good and perfect gift is from above. Naming things will not only increase our joy, 
but increase our connection with our Father who's constantly caring for us in ways that we, we too rarely notice. Finally, the S stands for supplication, which is a fancy word for asking for stuff. Give us today our daily bread and deliver us from the evil one. This is where I bring my needs to the God who cares for me, which feels really different than after just having remembered God's constant care for me. This is why Paul writes, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And again, make space to listen. Is there something God is asking of you? To reach out to a person who's hurting, or get involved in a place God wants to use you. The point is not to complete all four of these so that you can have offered a good prayer. The point is to connect with God. And praying with others or using prayers written by others can be like the questions my family uses to have richer conversations when we're stuck in a rut. Once that conversation gets started, it doesn't need to end when my prayer time does any more than my conversation with my wife has to end when our dinner or date is over. But that deliberate time of going deeper allows us to carry that conversation throughout the entire day. This is what Paul means when he writes, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Prayer isn't the words we say to God. It's the running conversation we have with God that goes with us everywhere because God is with us everywhere. Sometimes our prayers will have no words. We don't know what to say. Sometimes our pain is so deep, our, our confusion is just so raw that we can't even express it. Bring that to our Father in prayer. Because God's Spirit inside us can pray for us when we don't know what to say, what we need, or, or even what we really feel. We're assured the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. You know, sometimes the most intimate conversations include no words at all. Sometimes a groan from deep in our souls conveys what we need to say in a way that no words are adequate for. A reporter shadowing Mother Teresa noted that despite all of the needs around her, each day, she took extended time away for prayer. So he asked what she said when she prays, and she replied, well, not much. Mostly, I just listen. His curiosity peaked. He asked, and what does God say? Not much. Mostly, he just listens. Prayer is not about the words you say. It's about turning our attention to the God who's always paying attention to us. Prayer is not about information, it's about intimacy. But like any relationship, often words can help us get there. And this gets to the heart of Jesus' teaching about prayer. The disciples asked him to teach them how to pray, but fundamentally it's not words we mindlessly recite, or even a technique we've got to get correct, but a conversation with God that connects us all day long. It's a conversation we keep getting distracted from, so we punctuate our days with scheduled prayers in order to call our attention back to our Heavenly Father, whose attention is always on us. 
So this week, make space for a conversation with God. Before you begin, take an inventory of what you're feeling and the thousands of thoughts ricocheting through your mind and calm down enough to really be present. Then, acknowledge that God is present too. Here I am. Here you are. Here we are, together. From there, enjoy time with your Father who loves you. If you need a few cue cards to get the conversation started, consider the Lord's Prayer, the Acts Paradigm, the Examine, or the Daily Office. The goal isn't to get perfect at prayer. That'll never happen. Like any kind of intimacy, prayer is always a mixture of awkwardness and delight, and it requires continual effort to pay attention to our beloved. So the goal isn't to be perfect, but this week, try to become present with God. Try to notice throughout your day that God is still present with you, and keep that conversation going. Do it. Not in order to earn love from God, but in order to enjoy the fact that you already are loved by God. This is how Jesus prayed. So, Lord, this week, teach us to pray. Amen.